Homesick by Margot Kim Read by Plush Chapter 6 Let's take a slight detour before we tell the story that Dwalin himself recounted the day he arrived. After the silence. After Deese going, well, damn. In a tone that implied she was thinking about grabbing her battle axe. After Bilbo going, don't you know? You're with him, don't you know? After Dwalin asking, once he'd found his way to the front door and embraced Bilbo so hard that Primla had interceded in the name of his delicate health. Where's Thorin? Let's rewind back, for a second, to a bird. A very smart bird at that. One of the smartest birds you've ever met. If such a creature doesn't seem very impressive to you, you haven't been speaking to the right birds. Take ravens, for example. Ravens are wickedly smart birds, with a strong emphasis on wicked. They aren't evil the way wargs are evil, the way creatures that grow from hatred and shadow are evil. Ravens are mischievous, though that can be close enough to evil if you are the focus of their mischief. This is the price of their intelligence. The average animal doesn't have the higher cognitive function required to be a prick. This particular raven, the one we are interested in and have traveled all the way back to sea, was very smart indeed, which normally spelled trouble. Still, ravens of Erebor tended to be a better sort than the common bird. There was a bit of class pride there that was, if not admirable, at least made them the dutiful envoys of the royal family for generations, for as long as there had been a mountain and a king underneath it. And this raven believed in duty the way it believed in the air underneath its wings. So you can imagine how the raven having to admit to itself that it couldn't deliver its letter had prompted a bit of an existential crisis. At least, inasmuch as a bird can have an existential crisis. That particular type of despair has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just that birds know exactly where they belong in the world. That is, the best part. And it is for the lower races to face the cosmic dread. A bird, it must be said, would never suffer from any disease that stemmed from being too long in the wrong place. The raven rested on a bobbing log, in the center of an ocean more vast and blue than even the sky above. It stretched its aching wings. It stretched its talons for good measure as well. It wasn't easy to carry a letter from one end of the earth to the other and then come back around the other side again. If ravens could sigh, this one would have. Thankfully, it had other ways of expressing itself. Bloody wizards, it muttered. Drown the lot of them. The waves lapping against the log offered no comfort in response. And for the first time in its service, with a letter made heavier by failure and stamped by fate with return to sender, the raven began the short flight home, finishing its circumvention of the globe with no small amount of grumbling. At around the same time, it so happens that Dwalin had finished up his nightly duties in Erebor and decided to visit his best friend, the king. And that story, at least as told by Dwalin, hunching in an armchair meant for a being half his size as Bilbo, Drogo, Primula, and Deese sat around him, continues like this. The Tale of Dwalin <sighs> Ale and Meat that was what Thorin needed right now, in Dwalin's opinion. Another stout of ale. Another stack of meat. Food and drink weren't a cure for Bilbo's mystery illness, but Dwalin couldn't bring Thorin that. Anyway, nothing seemed as dire viewed through a full stomach and ale's warm, golden haze. Maybe they weren't what you were supposed to be bringing to a sick room at three in the morning. 
but there was no chance in any world that Thorin had gone to sleep like he'd said he would. And anyway, it wasn't going to wake Bilbo. And if it did, all the better. At this point, Dwalin was just trying to keep Thorin from doing anything stupid. Well done indeed, Dee said. Primula shushed her. Dwalin wrapped his knuckles against the door. Thorin, he called. I've got food. Dwalin waited for a reply. After a moment, he knocked again. He wasn't sure and didn't care what Thorn and Bilbo did together in bed. Watch it, Bilbo warned. But he knew he never wanted to walk in on it. And for some reason, Keeley had been very enthusiastic about his idea Thorn should kiss Bilbo awake. Dee sighed. <sighs> yes, of course he was. Let him talk, Primula said as she poured everyone a cup of tea. Else we'll be here till the crows come home to roost, and our Mr. Baggins has only a few more hours till he'll be asleep again. Dwan looked at Bilbo in shock. You still sick? Astonishingly, Bilbo replied. At the same time, Primula said, He's healing. And Dees said, We're still waiting on him to die. Ignore Dees, Bilbo said. I grew up with her, Dwan said. Already do. Dees tissed and snapped her napkin at him. Tell the damn story, Dwan. Dwalin knocked a third time. Thorin! <sighs> Damn, he thought before he even opened the door. He barely looked in the room to confirm what he already knew. Thorin wasn't there. Neither was Bilbo. A lifetime at Thorin's side had given Dwalin a prenatural sense of when Thorin had gotten a plan. Or, no, not a plan, because plans had the form and function of something practical, even if Thorin's usually needed a little fine-tuning. Thorin could plan well enough— well as the rest of them, and he could bluff when the plan didn't work. No, Dwalin thought as he ran down the corridors to the royal wing. What was dangerous was when Thorin found a quest. Something along the lines of, let's go reclaim our long-lost kingdom. Quests didn't come with plans. Quests came with hope, rain, hunger, elves, orcs, spiders, yet more elves, and a fire-breathing worm waiting for them. For example... When it came to Thorn's quests, the plan got figured out along the way. Thorn's chambers were empty too, but Thorn was the only thing missing from them. Dwalin had a brief flare of hope. Maybe he just took Bilbo on a walk. Was that a possibility? Before his eyes settled on the mantle. There, halfway underneath Thor's handcrafted clock, was a white sheet of paper folded over. My dear nephews, it began. I cannot hope to make you understand why I must leave. All I can do is assure you that I must, for Bilbo's sake, and thus for my own. There was about three more paragraphs. Dwalin scowled and thrust the letter back under the clock. It ticked at him while he thought. Thorn was running away, then. That wasn't like Thorn. Thorn had not run away from Erebor the first time. He had been driven away, as they all had. That anyone survived was because he led them to Arid Luin. Therefore... Thorn must be running to something. The Shire, obviously, for where else would you sneak off with a hobbit on your back? And if Thorin thought this would save Bilbo, then this would save Bilbo. But why wouldn't Thorin wait till morning? Why wouldn't Thorin ask his company to go with him? When they'd all agreed to follow him one last time into battle, they hadn't literally meant one last time. Dwalin, in particular, had been following Thorin every day since then. This must be something Thorin needs to do on his own. Dwalin thought. Well, he can't do it on his own, Dwalin further thought. Couldn't be easy to cross the world while carrying someone in your arms. Couldn't be easy to cross the world alone, either. And with Bilbo the way he was, Thorin would be doing both. 
This is something he needs to do on his own. With me in the background carrying the food supply and a few extra axes, Dwalin concluded. With that settled, Dwalin started to pack. There weren't many places you could sneak into Erebor. That meant there weren't many places you could sneak out of Erebor. This might have presented a problem to dwarves who hadn't had to break into the mountain through a secret door. Though Dwalin wasn't sure how Thorin managed to maneuver Bilbo down those stairs. It was a good thing the hobbit was asleep for the sake of his ever-sensitive pride. Dwalin had thrown Bilbo over his shoulders more than once as they'd traversed the rockier parts of their journey, and Bilbo had never been that grateful for the trouble Dwalin had gone to. This is unnecessary editorializing, Bilbo protested. Primula shushed him. When Dwalin had started his way down, he'd fixed his eyes on the little figure creeping through the night so far and distant that Dwalin could disappear it with a thumb. You wouldn't have seen it unless you were looking. Dwalin was looking. So was Thorin. Dwalin could spot the exact moment Thorin spotted him, probably looking back to make sure no one was following. The little dot froze. Then it started moving a lot faster. But Thorin was encumbered. So was Dwalin with food and bedrolls and a spare pot and a respectable amount of axes. But Dwalin could take a lot more encumbering than Thorin before he started slowing down. By the time they were both on the flat slope of the foot of the mountain, Dwalin was close enough that he could make out Thorin's travel arrangements. Bilbo was lashed to Thorin's back like Deesa carried her children when they were young enough to indulge in that sort of thing. Dwalin laughed and hoped the noise carried across the open plains. Bilbo wouldn't like that comparison. How right you are, Bilbo said dryly while Dees laughed. Primula shushed both of them, but with a little smile on her face. The horrible traitor. Something black swooped past Dwalin's head, and Dwalin picked up the pace to close the space between them as the raven fluttered to land in Thorin's shoulder, the one that Bilbo's head wasn't resting on. If that was a raven from Erebor, then someone must have found Thorin's note already. They'd need to move. The rest of Erebor might not be as understanding about the once, and if Dwalin had anything to say about it future, king, absconding in the night. They'd be worried, at least. People who were worried about you tended not to let you run off into the wilderness with your soulmate on your back. The raven had shifted to Thorin's arm by the time Dwalin arrived. Thorin gave it a curt nod as Dwalin slowed. The raven cocked its head in response. It had the strange look that Erebor ravens had, too much intelligence in its black eyes for Dwalin to be comfortable around them. This was one of Deesa's prized ravens, he could tell by the faint white crest on its chest, like a puff of cloud in the otherwise pitch-black sky. Greta, Dee said proudly, one of my best. Dwalin hated that bird. It was too smart for its own good, same as the bird's owner. After a moment where Thorin and the raven regarded each other, the raven cawed and beat its wings. Dwalin had never seen a bird take off so reluctantly. He watched it fly off into the pre-dawn light, much like Thorin, it was going in the opposite direction of Erebor. It was the raven we sent to Gandalf, Thorin said, without looking at Dwalin. His eyes still fixed on the disappearing bird. Before Bilbo got worse. It couldn't find him. Dwalin grunted. Wizards. Thorin snorted. His arms were crossed, his hands tucked into the bindings that held Bilbo to his back. He still didn't look at Dwalin. I've not gone mad. Course not. The mountain is killing him. I read your note. So you understand. Why you couldn't wait till morning? Dwalin asked. Why you crept away from your own home like a thief in the night? Why you trusted none of your friends to come with you? Thorin's shoulders squared. His chin rose. 
but his eyes dropped, and Dwalin wondered how Thorin had lasted so long in this world without figuring out how to mask his hurt. I will not ask my friends and family to put their lives on hold for another one of my mad quests. Bilbo ain't a mad quest, Dwalin said. Neither was reclaiming our homeland. You know that. Thorin didn't reply. Dwalin did what he always did when his communicative skills fell flat. He thought about what Balin would say and tried to say warmly, Chin up, lad. You'll feel better in the morning. Thorin's brow wrinkled. Shut up, Dwalin said. I didn't say anything. You were thinking. Thorin laughed a little, and then he looked up at him. Almost. His face was pointed at Dwalin. His eyes were somewhere else. The past, maybe. Or Erebor. Or wherever it was Thorin went inside that damn head of his. If I wait till morning, Thorin said quietly, I'll never leave. Bilbo's arms looped around Thorin's neck. He didn't hold Bilbo's hand exactly. He sort of pinched the sleeve of Bilbo's shirt, rubbed the fabric between his fingers. Dwan looked away. It would have been less intimate if he'd just grabbed Bilbo's hand. It said a lot about what had to happen, a gesture like that. No one looked at Bilbo, not even Dwalin as he spoke, and in the privacy of his friend's discretion, Bilbo touched the place on his finger where his ring, his wedding ring, ought to be. Fine, Dwalin said. Then let's go. Thorin started like he'd come back to himself. I wasn't asking you to come. Dwalin dropped the pack that he'd slung over his back onto the ground. Thorin's eyes darted down to where it hit with a thump. Did you bring supplies? Food? Tent? Thorin pointed a thumb over his shoulder. I brought a hobbit. I'm coming with you. Thorin met Dwalin's eyes. Dwalin could see the no waiting behind Thorin's teeth. There were a thousand and one things to say. Thorin didn't say them. Wasn't much need to. Thorin had Bilbo for his heart-to-hearts. The two dwarves never had to say much. A hammer and anvil worked together fine without much need for words. Fair point, Thorin said. I suppose you are. On the outskirts of Mirkwood, two days' ride of a commandeered boat down from Lake Town, Dwalin remembered why Thorin had felt he was being generous by denying his company the chance to travel with him. It was because the world was terrible. Not all of it, Dwalin conceded as he stabbed last night's fire, trying to see if he could get away with not having to fetch any new wood. Oin had been adamant about the power of positive thinking on the journey to Erebor. Dwalin suspected that was because Oin hadn't had any real medicine. But that family had gotten through the journey easier than the rest of them, to everyone else's eternal annoyance. Gloin had his kids and Oin had a selective awareness of the world. So, of course, they'd taken to optimism easier. But fine. The fire was going. Wasn't that lovely? That bit of sky over there was nice. The bit back in the direction of Erebor. This little glowing coal was a beautiful sight. Look! How wonderfully this sausage fits on the end of this stick. Thorn still slept, half-curled around Bilbo. Went without saying that Bilbo was still sleeping as well. If Bilbo could wake himself up, they could skip the forest altogether. Head back to Erebor. Maybe set a brush fire to Mirkwood before they left. 
Duan pinched the sausage and decided he could eat it cold. Duan was about halfway through with breakfast when he heard a squawk, followed by a quick grunt from Thorin. Duan whirled around, axe in one hand, sausage in the other, to find Thorin blinking at a raven hopping on his nose. Thorin saw Duan and quickly waved the bird away, sitting up. Fine, we're fine, it's fine, he said, as the raven fluttered over to Bilbo's chest. It started pecking Bilbo's pockets before Thorin swiped at it again. Give it some bread, Thorin told Dwalin, or it might eat us alive. Dwalin tossed the raven a pinch of sausage. From Erebor? he asked. Thorin shook his head as he got to his feet, dusting off the sand from the back of his head and then dusting off that same sand from Bilbo as he muttered a quick apology. Dwalin didn't point out that Bilbo couldn't mind. No, a different task. Thorin staggered over to the fire and held out his hand. Dwalin handed him a roasting stick. Although, maybe I should send it back to Erebor. I'm worried we haven't heard from them. Perhaps they didn't find my note. If they didn't find your note, they'd be combing the countryside for you, Dwalin said. They might still be combing the countryside, Thorin said. Just not the countryside where we are. Then we'll send them a note when we put the forest between us and them, Dwalin said while Thorin toasted his breakfast. Who's the raven for? The bird in question had finished its bit of sausage and hopped up onto Thorin's knee. It opened his mouth and released the most god-awful shriek. It sounded like a knife on glass. Thorin didn't even wince. Very well, he said. Apparently to the bird. Then what? And the bird screeched again. Thorin nodded sagely. Dwan reconsidered the madness argument. He was speaking Westron, Dee said crossly, as if personally offended on behalf of the ravens. My birds all do. They're very smart, Dwalin. It was squawking, Dwalin maintained. Speaking with an accent. The accent being a squawk. You couldn't understand anything, Bilbo asked. Dwalin looked pained. Not a word. Does it matter? Drogo asked, perched on the chair of the sofa beside Primula. Dwan looked considerably more pained. Uh, he said. Probably mattered a bit. Thorn raised his left hand and pulled off the only ring he wore these days. This, he told the raven with a gravity that would have befit the throne hall, is the ring forged by my grandmother gifted to my grandfather. Around its band reads their first declaration of love. When Thor succumbed to our family's disease, he cast this ring aside in favor of greater wealth. I kept it for him until his death, and I have carried it ever since. It is a constant reminder to me of what we ought to value in this world. It is irreplaceable. Thorn pinched the ring between his fingers and held it out. No, breathed Dees. The raven cocked its head and snatched it in his beak. No, said Bilbo. With a beat of its black wings, the bird was gone. Thorn, Dwalin rasped. What the? In Bag End, Dwalin glanced at Primula, perched on the couch and watching eagerly, and seemed to change his mind. Blazes, are you doing? Thorin looked at Dwalin levelly. I am getting Bilbo home as quickly as I can. Are you helping or not? Dwalin didn't have time to answer, for at that moment they were set upon by bandits. By bandits? Bilbo asked incredulously for even the sunken feeling in his stomach and the empty space on his finger wasn't enough to make the sentence unsurprising. Outside, Mirkwood? A dozen and a half, Dwan said, 
his hands ringing in a distinct, undwallen gesture. But there aren't any bandits around Mirkwood, Bilbo said. Why not? Drogo asked. Because there's giant bloody spiders. You can have one or the other, but natural selection tends to draw the line at both. Bandits, Dwallin snapped. And are you going to let me finish or not? Grandfather's ring, Deese asked quietly. Dwan looked at her, didn't quite meet her eyes, nodded. Deese sat back in her armchair. She pressed a hand to her mouth. My dear Miss Brandybuck, she said without looking at Primula, I would at this moment appreciate another cup of tea. Feel free to put a splash of anything extra into it. As Dwan was saying, bandits. Sixteen at least. A hungry and lean camp who'd never learned not to steal from dwarves. They ambushed Dwalin and Thorin, swords out, hollering like madmen. Dwalin shoved Thorin away, told him to take Bilbo and run. He'd hold them off. Thorin was already running, scooping Bilbo up as he went. Dwalin drew his battle axe. The fight was quick. But quick or not, by the time Dwalin was done fighting, Thorin had disappeared. And there was only one place in that bank where someone could disappear. Thorin had run into Mirkwood. And after a moment, Dwalin did too. But I lost him, Dwalin said. Primula had poured Deese another mug, and now the two women sat next to each other on the couch, Primula resting her hand on Deese's knee. Deese, for her part, was letting her do so, which seemed incredible as if the two women were embracing and openly weeping. Somewhere in the woods. Damn woods. I had to start off the path, cut my way in. Spent weeks wandering around. Finally made it out to the other side. Knew he'd be heading here, so I headed here myself. Thought I'd catch him on the way. Didn't. Thought I'd find him here. Didn't, Deese looked up from her mug at Dwalin. How did you know he wasn't dead in the forest? Met a couple of leaf-eaters on the way, Dwalin said, still studying the tile-work of the floor. Nearly killed me before they said anything. Nasty pieces of work. But they knew your son, Prince Keeley. They'd worked with him. They gave me a hand out of the forest and told me what they knew. Which was? Bilbo asked. That they'd seen a dwarf with a hobbit lashed to his back in the fields west of Mirkwood. Dwalin shook his head. He must have gotten through the woods in a day, maybe two. Mayhal knows how. Fairy roads, Drogo said softly. Or elf roads, you might call them. You hear about them sometimes. Paths through the woods where you walk ten miles to go a hundred. Bilbo had heard about them as well. Sometimes in Old Forest you stayed on the paths because all around you trees were moving and the map was folding and there was no way of knowing where you'd come out if you waded into the thick of it. They were dangerous. Everyone knew Mirkwood had paths you couldn't trust. But we know he got through all right, Primilla said. She gestured at Bilbo, who at the moment was not feeling like proof of any kind of all rightness. So you walked here alone from halfway across the world? Drogo asked. Dwalin shrugged with a dispassion that conveyed exactly nothing about how much of a miserable slog that must have been. "'You lost my brother two days' journey from Erebor,' Dees said slowly, as if with each word she was giving Dwalin the chance to jump in to say, "'Fooled you!' and to pull Thorin from inside his traveling cloak. Instead, Dwalin sat there, his hands clasped together, his head bent. Bilbo had never seen Dwalin try to make himself look small before." and the sight was profoundly disturbing. Deese opened her mouth again. Dwan braced himself for the words sure to come out. And if Bilbo wasn't watching them carefully, he wouldn't have noticed the way Primula, without looking up from her tea, 
suddenly but firmly pressed her foot on top of Deese's. Deese glanced at her, the smallest look. Then she stood, drained her tea with a quaff that would have made a drinking hall proud, and put the teacup back on the table with a deliberate delicacy that made Bilbo suspect she'd rather be throwing it against the wall. Without a word, she turned and left the room. The front door slammed, and a moment later everyone heard the distinct thuds of someone chopping firewood like they were overseeing an execution. Dwalin, his head still bowed, closed his eyes. "'Well then, Mr. Dwalin,' Primula said, standing. "'I imagine you're ready for Mr. Drogo to show you to your rooms.' Dwalin and Drogo both looked blankly at her. "'Right,' said Drogo. "'Yes, right. More dwarves in the guest rooms. Not a problem. We'll just have to air the back ones out. Dees got the best and biggest one. Unfortunately for you, because otherwise it would be yours. And Bilbo's in the main bedroom, and I'm in Bilbo's old bedroom, and Primula is in the west bedroom, just across the hall from the main bedroom. So we'll have to air out the old, old guest room, which is, uh, very much underground.' So I imagine that would suit you, knowing what I know about dwarves. Fine, murmured Dwalin, with the look of a dwarf who thought to go waiting and then was washed over by a tsunami. Deese had worn that look plenty when she talked to Drogo. Bilbo had worn it himself now and then. Living amongst dwarves didn't prepare you for chattering. Are you staying? asked Bilbo. He must, Drogo burst in. He's come all this way, I mean, from across the whole world. And we won't have him put up in an inn, not when we've got the space. And don't let me thinking aloud where we're fitting you make you think we don't want you here, Mr. Dwalin. No, no, he's certainly welcome, Bilbo said, with his eyes on Dwalin. Dwalin looked away. But I thought you'd want to be looking for Thorin. I do, Dwalin said. Mayhow, I do. There was a silence. Then? Bilbo prompted. He brought you here. He wanted to keep you safe. He'd never forgive me if anything happened to you. He'd want me here with you instead of looking for him. So what? You're planning to be my bodyguard? Bilbo raised his arms. Here? In the Shire? This isn't Erebor, Dwalin. No one's trying to kill anyone. Primula said something under her breath that sounded like Lobelia. Though whether that meant Lobelia would be doing the killing or getting killed was ambiguous. Both options seemed equally likely. "'I'm keeping you safe,' said Dwalin so firmly you could have built a house on the words. And Bilbo believed him. Why shouldn't he? Dwalin said his pledge with exactly the kind of conviction the end of his tale had been lacking. Dwalin had never been a very good liar. In the middle of the night, Bilbo woke to a creek where there ought to have been silence. His hand reached for the sword that wasn't there, that was resting on his bedside table in Erebor, when Dwalin said, it's me. Bilbo squinted in the dark. Dwalin took a step forward from the shadows by the door. What's wrong? Bilbo asked. Didn't mean to wake you, Dwalin replied. Bilbo sat up, fumbling for his matches. Dwalin, what? Don't light anything. I'm leaving. Didn't think I could wake you. Bilbo paused. I wake easily enough these days. Dwalin's silence was his answer. I was checking in, Dwalin said eventually. You still look like shit. Thanks. You sleeping all right? I was, Bilbo almost said. But he'd never been close enough with Dwalin to feel wholly comfortable teasing him. And he certainly didn't feel comfortable now. 
Well, I'm sleeping less. So, yes. And eating? Bilbo smiled a little. I'm in the Shire, Dwalin. I couldn't avoid eating if I tried. Dwalin nodded. These hobbits, Dees, they weren't there when you were sick. No, they weren't. And Bilbo supposed there had to be a hell of a difference between seeing the death and seeing the resurrection. Thank you for checking, Dwalin, Bilbo said. Thorin was right, I guess, Dwalin said. Arabor was killing you. Didn't think a place could do that to you. The floorboards creaked again, Dwalin turning to leave, and Bilbo said, I'm glad you're here. I don't know if I mentioned that, and I should have. The bedroom door swung open. Faintly from down the hallway, Bilbo could hear Dees snoring. Dwalin half-turned in the shadows. I know I'm not the dwarf you hoped for. Before Bilbo could think of the right thing to say, the floorboards creaked again and the door closed silently. The afternoon after Dwalin arrived, Mrs. Underhill died. The next day, Drogo stopped by her daughter's house to pay his respects and a couple shillings, and he came into Bilbo's bedroom rolling a wicker chair with very nearly circular wheels. He presented it with such beaming pride that Bilbo couldn't help but share his joy, and really, why wouldn't he? Dwalin did have a point in his story. Bilbo truly hated being carried. Dwalin came in from repairing the garden fence, took one look at the chair, and said, That's rubbish. That's the finest construction in the Shire, Drogo said hotly. That gave Mrs. Underhill her mobility back when she couldn't stand for shaking. Dwalin pointed at the wheels. Mobility's grand, but those don't turn. They very much do, said Drogo, demonstrating by rolling the chair over to Bilbo. Not well. It's lovely, said Bilbo, who was starting to miss the days when he'd lived in Bag End alone. Drogo and Dwalin helped Bilbo into the chair, which indeed didn't roll as easily as Bilbo might like. He didn't bother to mention it aloud. It had only spoiled Drogo's good mood. And Dwalin already had the look in his eye of a dwarf who was going to engineer something, whether or not anyone wanted him to. Metal wheels would work better, Dwalin said. Easier for Bilbo to push. Where's the forge? We've got a blacksmith in the market, said Drogo, who was always willing to put in a good word for hobbit construction, but smart enough to know when dwarf construction was a hell of a lot better. We can all go down together now we've got the chair. It's been a while since Bilbo left the house, eh? Bilbo, wheeling himself around the room with a great deal of effort, froze. Drogo was hobbit enough to pick up on Bilbo's thoughts instantly. You'll have to face the neighbors sooner or later. No, I don't, said Bilbo. You all could have buried me alive and saved me quite a lot of trouble on that front. But he made the mistake of looking out the window, at the Shire in the full flames of autumn, when all the world was preparing for its long sleep. Bilbo had come out of hibernation just as everyone else was getting ready to go under, and it was the days right before winter when the frost outlined the scarlet leaves till hanging on the leaves, when the air smelled like copper and distant snow. This time last year in Erebor, the thought of the Shire in the full fate of autumn made his heart ache so much that he almost went running home half a dozen times. It wasn't the same in Erebor, in Dale, in the east. It wasn't quite home. Bilbo sighed. Let's at least all dress up nice. The market was just as Bilbo remembered it being, although he experienced it from a slightly lower vantage than usual. It felt like being a child again, being wheeled around by Dwalin because the chair was too hard to move on his own. Bilbo almost looked around for his parents before he remembered and didn't, 
and swallowed the lump that rose that hadn't been there for a few years. The last time he'd cried over his parents had been the night he and Thorin had married, as Bilbo sat on his bed and touched the ring that Thorin had given him. Then he'd dried his face on Thorin's shoulder. "'Sorry,' he'd said. "'It's just that I never thought I'd get married, so when they died, it didn't occur to me to be sad that they would never meet my spouse.' And Thorin had pressed his lips against Bilbo's forehead, his own face damp, and said, "'Something.' Bilbo didn't have a photographic memory of everything Thorin ever said to him. Didn't need to, honestly, because once you know someone well enough, you can fill in the dialogue in your memory as needed. And then you could argue about who was right when the stories came up, and the later years of your life together could be an ongoing debate about what exactly had happened in the earlier years. This was marriage. Bilbo did remember Thorin showing his grandfather's ring. Now on his marriage finger. When Bilbo and Thorin entwined their fingers, their rings clacked together. "'Are you all right?' Drogo asked, leaning down to murmur so the gawkers in the market wouldn't hear. Bilbo shook his head, wrung his hands. "'Fine, fine, just tired.' It was a great catch-all excuse. "'I'll expect you're tired,' said Lily Twofoot loudly, having always had hearing that was too sharp for anyone's good. She came out from behind her flower stall, wiping her hands on her apron and walking between the crowds of hobbits split between those pretending not to notice their prodigal neighbor— and those openly staring. Anyone would be tired after managing a resurrection the likes of which you've pulled off. Good to see you out and about. We thought one or the other of the dwarves what moved in with you might have finished the job. Happy to say I'm still alive, Mrs. Twofoot, Bilbo said, pulling himself to shake the hand she extended. And the dwarves have treated me very well, I promise. I have they! She squinted skeptically at Dwallin, who couldn't help but loom in the center of a crowd full of hobbits. Well, you ain't delicate. You're your mother's son well enough, running off like you did. Lily Twofoot would know. She'd been one of Belladonna's closest friends the last years of her life, and she cackled with Belladonna in the living room over stories that they swore they'd never tell anyone. Bilbo should have expected that it would have been one of Belladonna's wild women who welcomed him back into the Shire proper, the sort of maternal grin you get when the person smiling at you used to change your diaper when your mother was busy. You didn't get smiles like that in Erebor. At least, Bilbo didn't. "'And your father's son, too, coming back like you have,' she said. "'Happy to be back?' "'Yes,' Bilbo said, before he could think about it. "'I suppose I am.' After a few more minutes of conversation, Lily walked them to the forge where they left Dwallin to his work. Then Drogo wheeled him home along the scenic route. Not an easy task in a chair that struggled to go in a straight line on solid wood flooring, let alone the dirt path that sloped up along the outskirts of Hobbiton to the hills that overlooked the village and the fields like squares in a quilt. The land had been emerald and sapphire when Bilbo had run from it. It was ruby and amber now. Drogo parked him at the highest swell of land, where you could sit and see roads that pointed towards the wilderness start to wind their ways home. Bilbo traced one he'd ran away on right back to the door of Bag End. "'I expect it doesn't compare to the bigger world,' said Drogo quietly. "'It doesn't,' Bilbo replied. What in the bigger world is half as wonderful as this? They stayed up there long enough that Primula, bundled up for the cold, spotted them on the hill as she came back from checking on Bilbo's elderly neighbors. She waved at them, shouted something that sounded like, You'll catch your death! But she ran up the hill to join them anyway, and it turned out she had a couple loaves left over from her rounds, and Drogo had been using the back of Bilbo's wheelchair to store a spare blanket and some good red wine. 
and as Drogo took a swig from the bottle, having neglected to pack cups as well. Premila laughed and said, Mr. Baggins, why don't you tell us about winter and dwarfland? Erebor, Bilbo said. There's a great deal of dwarfland all over the world, and the only bit I'm familiar with is Erebor. Erebor, then, Premila said, taking the bottle that Drogo offered. Bilbo overlooked Hobbiton, the miniature forms of the people he'd known all his life ambling along the paths to their homes, the chimneys already puffing up. There were fireplaces in Erebor, so necessarily there were chimneys, too, Bilbo explained, though Bilbo would be damned if he'd ever known where they came out. One winter, his second in Erebor, maybe, he'd stayed overnight with Bard's family and spent his time in Dale searching to see where the smoke came out of the lonely mountain. Sigurd had knitted Bilbo a sweater with a lovely little tree design, and Tilda had knitted him a pair of socks. Primula and Drogo both shuddered at the thought, which she presented with such earnestness that Bilbo couldn't even take offense. Anyway, they fit Thorn perfectly, and next year Tilda gave Bilbo a particularly fluffy hat which he truly loved. That was one of the things he'd have to send for. You don't leave a hat as warm as that where you can't wear it. And there were banquets in the winter, down in the mountain where the seasons never seemed to reach. The temperature and light inside Erebor was the same year-round once you got deep enough. But every dwarf seemed to possess an intimate feel for the passing of the year, and more than once, as Bilbo had gotten ready to go on some excursion outside, one of his friends who hadn't left the mountain for months would tell him to bring an umbrella on account of the rain. And there would be rain. Up in Bilbo's study, the one Thorn had gifted him when Bilbo was working on his latest book of poetry, the room was close enough to the outside of the mountain that during the worst storms you could hear the faintest patter of rain against the rock. The sound got louder over the years that Bilbo worked there, and it didn't take long for Bilbo to figure out that Thorn was hiring contractors to make the room a little noisier. By the end of Bilbo's stay in Erebor, other dwarves couldn't go near it. They said they couldn't hear themselves think in there, those dwarves who were particularly deafened from the endless sound of hammer on anvil. And Bilbo couldn't go near the forges or even within miles of them. The headaches weren't worth it, and the sound never stopped and the wet light of molten gold always made him feel sick. But the banquets, they were grand, especially as the years went on and the events lost the sense of mourning that pervaded that first year back. Bilbo spent his first year feeling like a date brought to a family funeral, trying to decide if it'd be more appropriate if he cried or if he didn't. Dane had stayed off and on for the first year, pledging his army to the rebuilding of Erebor, and did just that. And at his farewell banquet, the room roared for him with such vigor that Bilbo's ears were still ringing a day later. And there were the games, the wrestling and the racing and axe-throwing, but also the games of craftsmanship, judged blind by Thorin and the Guild of Masters, for hours as the contestants sweated and onlookers heckled, praised, laughed. Both were always won in the miniatures division, always, with such regularity that people would have called it foul if the results were not so self-evident. Feely was working his way up the clockwork division. Over the four years he'd competed, he'd gone from placing 27th to 4th. "'Although I suppose he won't work himself any higher,' Bilbo said. "'The king can't participate in the events he judges.' Premila knocked the bottle of wine against Bilbo's knee, which Bilbo took. She and Drogo were seated on the ground next to each other. Drogo had given Primula the blanket when she'd arrived, a misplaced chivalry since the average hobbit lass in cold weather wore enough layers to clothe a half-dozen hobbit lads. And after Drogo had spent a few minutes trying very hard not to look like he was shivering, Primula had offered to share. And so now they were wrapped together in the blanket, their faces red from more than wine. Bilbo suspected. Dear God, I've been married long enough to be nostalgic for young love, Bilbo thought. 
and drink. And speaking of nostalgia he never expected. All the long nights of the quest, Bilbo had shivered and swore he'd never step foot outside his door again unless the weather was balmy enough to roll up his sleeves. And here he was, shivering once more, and beaming from it, despite everything. He felt like he could have sprinted back to Erebor if he could have just found the strength to stand up. The view was helping. It did a soul good to stand, or sit, at the highest point around and look out for a while. It was half the idea of the Lonely Mountain, wasn't it? And this was a good hill, a proper hill. You could see the world from atop this hill. Or, at least, you could see anyone coming towards back in for a good mile or so. That had been the extent of Bilbo's world, for years. So many years, so many wasted years. He never climbed up this hill when he lived here before. What would he need to see? What in the world could interest him? And now Bilbo could see himself sitting here as winter came, as it lingered, as it melted to spring, and then spring to summer, and summer to autumn. And he'd still be sitting here, keeping his eye on the road, looking for someone walking up it, coming home, coming to a home they'd only been to once before. Look, said Drogo so suddenly, that Bilbo allowed himself for a second to hope. But no. Drogo pointed at Dees, winding her way east from whatever it was she did in town when she decided she was done with the lot in Bag End. And rolling two perfectly round wheels came Dwalin from the west. They'll both be back in time for dinner! Bilbo had no doubt that Drogo was genuinely pleased by this fact. He'd taken over most of the cooking lately. Once Primula had been clear that her culinary range consisted of foods that were good for you and wouldn't taste too bad if you had to throw them up. And just about the only thing that made Drogo snippy was if he went to the effort of making a good meal, but not everyone showed up to eat it, by which he meant that Dees hadn't shown up to eat it, though Drogo would never say that to her directly, because that kind of bluntness that Bilbo had spent some years getting passively fluent in was the most shocking rudeness in the Shire. Bilbo could practically hear Drogo mentally mapping out the table settings. Dees's road met Dwalin's. Bilbo saw the moment they spotted each other. They both froze, the way deer do when they see a hunter. Or maybe it was more like the way a hunter freezes when they see a deer. Primula unwrapped herself from the blanket and stood. Have they spoken alone yet? She asked Bilbo, who had realized at the same moment that no, no, they had not. Several hills away, Dees and Dwalin were still staring at each other. Dees took one step further, then another, then another, as Dwalin stood ramrod still. If they spoke, Bilbo was too far away to see or hear. All he saw was Dees raise her hands, empty palms up, and then Dwalin slowly, slowly shook his head. Bilbo saw Dees curl her hands into fists. Then she dropped them to her side. And the dwarves walked home to Bag End, never looking at each other as they did. There was a myth among dwarves that Bilbo had learned one day or another in Erebor's library. Like most dwarven myths, it involved construction. One day in the ancient times that once were, the sky started to wobble a bit. Dwarf something something Big Beard the Third. Bilbo had always been terrible with dwarven names, and it wasn't like here in the Shire he could go to the library, grab the relevant book, and check. Was the only one who noticed it, and like any good dwarf, she set out to investigate the problem. A short inspection of the world later, our dwarf found that one of the pillars that held up the sky had a crack running straight through the center of it. The gods of the world hadn't noticed yet paying more attention to disasters and miracles and basic infrastructure, and our dwarf saw no reason to bother them when she could fix it well enough herself. And so she set about her repair job, and all the while back where she came from the dwarves of her homeland looked around for their missing kin and then, 
when years and years and years had passed, ceased their looking. And still our dwarf worked, meticulously plastering up the crack of the world, with such skill that you'd never know it was there, even if you looked. And so when she was done, years and years and years later, when her beard had turned pure white and her hands shook when she raised her tools, there was no sign of her work at all. The measure of her craft was that the world took no notice of it. The measure of her craft were myths we didn't have to write about the day the world ended. She came back to her homeland, told her story, and quietly died to be buried in a grave seldom visited. Without being a popular myth, Ori had explained, it was an important one, and one necessary to know to understand half the conversations that were happening as the dwarves went about the process of rebuilding Erebor. There are the dwarves of the golden statues, and there are the dwarves of plastered sky, put in other words, as the subtext of so many of the discussions that were happening went. The dwarves you needed to reclaim Erebor are not necessarily the ones you need to rebuild it. Thorin was universally considered a dwarf of the golden statues, not least of which because of that one incident with the golden statue. And Bilbo was astonished to discover how much of establishing his kingship had been Thorin trying to noticeably but not ostentatiously prove he could manage the small tasks of the everyday that no one would ever applaud. Bilbo had learned about kings from poetry. He'd expected more parades. Who's a plaster sky dwarf, then? Bilbo had asked. Balin and Dwalin, Ori said instantly. Chief of staff and chief of guards. You can't get more important and visible labor than that. Their job descriptions are pretty much if they did things right, you'll never know. Bilbo thought about that at dinner, which was a quiet affair around a table more crowded than Bag Inn had been since Bungo's death. Everyone agreed that the meat stew and rolls were stupendous, which set Drogo so pleased that by the time he laid out dessert he was positively vibrating with happiness. Dwalin looked at everyone and everything besides Bilbo and Dees. Dees looked at nothing except Dwalin, which gave the unsettling impression that she'd poisoned the food and was waiting for it to take effect. Dwalin had been in charge of Thorin's safety in Erebor, and Dwalin had lost Thorin. Not just lost Thorin, but had helped Thorin lose himself, had escorted him out of Erebor's territory and had helped him avoid any who would want to bring Thorin back. Bilbo wasn't sure which part dwarves would consider a worse dereliction of duty. He was still mulling over how he felt himself. After dinner, Dwalin showed everyone the new and improved wheelchair, which glided across the floor with half the effort Bilbo had been using before. The end result was Bilbo accidentally crashing himself into a few walls on his first test drive around the parlor. But considering that Bilbo hadn't been moving fast enough for weeks to crash into anything, the whole experience left Bilbo giddy, beaming like an idiot as he wheeled himself from room to room. "'That's a fine sight, Mr. Dwalin,' said Primula when Drogo managed to corral Bilbo back into the parlor for tea." "'How much do you charge?' "'Not,' Dwalin said, affronted. "'It's a gift.' Primula pointed at Bilbo. "'For him, yes, but there's a score of other hobbits I know who'd gladly buy one of those. The average wheelchair around here ain't much better than sitting in a wheelbarrow and trying to push yourself.' Dwalin scratched his chin, considering. "'I reckon I could do a few for it.' Dwarf-made products are of the highest value and are exceedingly regulated trade goods that cannot be exchanged without a commerce treaty between the two regions, said Dees, sitting up in her armchair with a bright look in her eyes. She fixed Dwalin with the same sharp look she'd worn all dinner. Dwalin shut his mouth. How lucky it is that I'm here and able to negotiate fair compensation for both of us. Lucky indeed, Primula said, dryly, crossing her arms. I'm glad to hear you mention fairness in that compensation of yours. 
since I'd hate to think you'd be trying to turn a profit from the elderly and infirm. Not a profit, no, Dees said, but we must cover materials and labor. Then Dees glanced at Primula and sighed, settling back into her seat with the air of someone who had just metaphorically taken off a crown and said, But our Dwallin is free, of course, to provide prototypes and samples of his labor as we work out the details with your mayor. Please don't destabilize the local economy of the Shire because you think you've just found a new export market, Bilbo said. Firstly, my dear Bilbo, the Shire is so disgustingly stable, I doubt an earthquake would budget so much as an inch to the left, Dees said. And secondly, it is egregious that the homeland of Erebor's favorite adopted son has no access to dwarven advancements in technology. Thirdly, none of that particularly matters to either of you, said Premila, because I was asking Mr. Dwallin. You certainly were, Dees said, lounging back. We all have much we'd like to ask Mr. Dwallin. It was amazing how quickly a room could get tense. Dees was rather an expert at it. She sipped her tea with the quiet punctuation of someone who was content to let the other people deal with the uncomfortable silence. "'We certainly do,' Drogo said cheerfully, his hosting skills going toe-to-toe with Deese's natural flair for hostility. "'We never did inquire how your travels went. Were the roads fair?' "'If you've something to say, Deese,' Dwallin started. "'No,' said Drogo firmly. The dwarves stared at him. It was bad enough when Bilbo and Her Majesty couldn't sit down at the same table without trying to stab each other with every other noun. I'll not have the same play out with a new guest. We'll talk civilly, or we won't talk at all. Are you lecturing him or me? Deese asked, sounding too incredulous to be offended. Well, Your Majesty, if you need lecturing, Drogo said. No offense meant to either of you, but however you do things back where you came from aren't the ways we do them here. This is the Shire, and we don't spend our tea times insulting each other to our faces. Quite right, said Primula. We will wait until their backs are turned like proper hobbits. Drogo glared at her for good measure, too. So are we all going to behave like adults? he asked the room. Dees and Dwallin glanced at each other. Dwallin's eyes fell to the floor, and he shrugged. Let me just ask, Dees said, in the most civil way I can. She paused, her lips pressed together, and her eyes suddenly sadder. Did you do your best to get him— And here she glanced at Bilbo. Home? Whatever it is, we've decided that means. Dwallin straightened up in his chair, an armchair meant for someone about a foot shorter with far less sturdy thighs. He met Deese's eyes. No, he said simply. Deese's lips tightened. Well, she said quietly. Then I'm afraid to say I cannot talk civilly at all. Then we'll talk without you, Deese, said Bilbo. Deese didn't even look at him, so Bilbo rolled forward until he was in her line of sight. Do you even care about what Dwallin is hiding? Deese snapped. And yes, the answer was yes. That Bilbo cared so much about what Dwallin wasn't telling them that it was difficult even to look at him without a thousand fears running through his mind. That Thorn was secretly dead. That Thorn really had gone mad. That Thorn had abandoned Bilbo here, not because of accident or danger, but because Thorn was washing his hands of him. But it was hard to imagine a world where if anything bad had happened to Thorin, it would be Dwallin's fault. Do whatever you like, dear sister. I'm getting some air, Bilbo said, rolling his chair back, managing only to knock the table, couch, and wall once. Dwallin! Dwallin looked like he was bracing for a blow. Bilbo gestured vaguely at the outdoors. Come on! 
I require protection. There was no ramp down from Bag End to the road yet, so Dwallin carried Bilbo one more time. I can walk, you know, Bilbo grumbled from his place over Dwallin's shoulder. For about three steps, Miss Premola tells me, Dwallin said, his voice such a low rumble that Bilbo could feel it shaking up through his body. On the other side of the stairs, Dwallin put down the chair and placed Bilbo into it, with more diligence than skill. Dwallin's physical forte was more brutal than medicinal, but Bilbo got sat well enough, and only had to spend a few minutes retying his scarf just so. You know that no one can see you in the dark, right? Dwallin asked. But that was because Dwallin didn't understand style. Bilbo tucked his hands into the blanket he'd folded over his lap and said, Head west, please, where the land starts to slope. The wheelchair made barely a sound as it went over the dirt path, and Bilbo barely felt a jostle as Dwallin pushed him. The silence was easier here, while you were moving, while you didn't have to look at each other, and with the darkness, save for the stars bright as beacons. Tariel would have had a great deal to say about the stars tonight, could tell Bilbo exactly what fate hung over them as they walked and if the stars were any different here than they'd been at home. Or rather, at Erebor. But Tariel was half a world away at Erebor. Or rather, at home. Bilbo sighed, and the cold made his displeasure visible. But the Shire is beautiful, Bilbo murmured half to himself. So he was surprised when Dwan said, Yeah, it is. Thought so the first time around. They went in silence another minute longer. Down the empty main thoroughfare, as on either side of them passed houses lit golden from the inside with late evening fires. The faint sound of song floated out of many of them, the songs no one had known in Erebor. Dwallin listened to the music, too, and perhaps he found it as hauntingly strange as Bilbo had found dwarf song, which Dwallin would have found as achingly familiar as Bilbo found hobbit song, for Dwallin said, "'It's nothing like the mountains.' No, Bilbo agreed. He could feel Dwallin's hands shifting on the back of the chair. Bilbo waited. So, you think he'll be happy here, then? Dwallin asked. It being so different from home? If he gets here. Mayhow, Bilbo, I'd tell you where he was if I could. I'd be by his side if I could. I'm the worst idiot, the worst guard, the worst friend. But I promise you, I'd have brought him here if I could have. But I could have. That's the thing. Dees knows. Dees always knows. Bloody spymaster. She always knows. But he's all right. I know he's all right, because I'd feel it if he wasn't. I'd feel it right in my heart. I felt it when he was stabbed, you know. Felt it like the sword was in me. And me half a battlefield away. I know he's still alive. And I know if he's alive. Dwallin trailed off, sounding as if he'd used up all the words he'd got. Dees blames me for him leaving, Bilbo said. Or used to blame me. I don't know. It's hard to tell with her. We were talking about it when you arrived, and then you arrived. Maybe she's switched entirely to blaming you. Dwallin said nothing in response which was roughly how Bilbo remembered most of his conversations with Dwallin going. Durin's, Bilbo said, as he patted himself down for his pipe. She's right, Dwallin said, his voice low enough to rumble down through his hands, through the chair, to Bilbo's chest. She should blame me. 
In an outer pocket, Bilbo found a pipe he didn't remember putting there, but knew he could count on having because there was no outfit he could assemble from his wardrobe that wouldn't have the necessary components for a good smoke. And why shouldn't she? Bilbo said, tamping the pipe weed. Bilbo could practically hear Dwalin scowling behind him. Because I lost him. To be fair, Bilbo said, so did all of Erebor. No, it's not... Dwalin bit off the words. Suddenly, Bilbo stopped moving forward, and he heard feet stomping away. And when he turned the chair around, the pipe clinched in his teeth. Dwalin was standing at the edge of the road, his back to Bilbo, his arms crossed. They'd wound their way up out of Bagshot and onto Mulberry, which became Portered Pass halfway up Hollow's Hill, at which point the walking path diverged left from Oathkeeper's Overlook, and that was where Dwalin had stomped a few feet away onto where the land managed through a great deal of effort to raise itself just high enough and grow just enough trees to be one of the more secluded scenic views in the Shire, which Dwalin had probably noticed but clearly hadn't regarded. Bilbo could just faintly make out the sight of a couple scurrying off in the darkness, grabbing their clothes as they went. Bilbo steeled and wheeled himself over to Dwalin's side. Thorin's not here, Bilbo said simply and Dees is always one bad conversation away from declaring war. So if you're looking for forgiveness of any kind, Bilbo shrugged and lit his pipe. I'm your best shot. There was a long, long silence, and then Dwalin leaned back against a tree, arms still crossed, eyes still elsewhere. I blamed you too, Dwalin said. Bilbo lowered his pipe and replied, Oh. Yeah. Dwalin scratched his beard. Well, Bilbo said after a moment, no one's technically wrong about that. I was very much the inciting incident of his leaving. Then there was another long, long silence. So long that Bilbo finished his pipe and watched fireplaces around the village go out. Dwarves live so much longer than hobbits. Bilbo had learned what that meant, living amongst them for six years. It meant hobbits lived faster. It meant Bilbo had learned to get better at waiting. And after the long, long silence, part two, Dwalin said, Maybe there weren't bandits. Maybe there was something else. The something else went like this. The tale of Dwalin. The appendices. And here is an author's note where Bilbo must confess some artistic license in his transcription. More so than usual. For Dwalin said all of this and more. But not with half so many words. Dwalin was a dwarf who, by even the standards of dwarves, talked with actions far more than words. But Bilbo was a hobbit who talked with words far more than actions. And if he ever did otherwise, he blamed it on the corrupting influence of dwarves. And so Dwalin stooped to Bilbo's level to say aloud the kind of things that were never supposed to actually come out of your mouth. And he said it aloud one halting sentence at a time, in the way you talk about things you don't want to talk about, when half the nouns are missing and the ellipses become audible. But Dwalin talked, and Bilbo understood as well as anyone understands anyone in this world of ours, and here is what was said, translated, for the rest of us. As Dwalin chased down Thorin, as Thorin fled from Erebor, as Dwalin saw Bilbo lashed to Thorin's back, Dwalin did think about how they'd carried the princes as lads. He really did. But the setup reminded him of something else, something Dwalin couldn't figure out as he huffed after his oldest friend, carrying his newest friend. Bilbo still possessed that title, even after six years, Dwalin making friends at the rate of about one per two decades. 
Dwalin couldn't remember. Then he did. It was the way that Dwalin had carried Frarin after the battle, when Frarin couldn't walk anymore. Dwalin had felt Frarin's blood pooling against Dwalin's back, had felt Frarin's breath hot against Dwalin's neck, had felt the blood and the breath stop, had carried Frarin a while longer and said nothing to anyone, those stragglers of the battle trudging on, because when there was nothing anyone could do, five less minutes of grief was all the surface Dwalin could offer. If he hadn't thought of Frarin, Dwalin probably could have done what he should have come out to do. He could have grabbed Thorin by the beard and dragged him home. But you get stroppy, thinking about those you didn't save. You get weak. So Dwalin forgot his good sense, and he and Thorin went west. But you packed, Bilbo said. Didn't you? Dwalin shrugged. Suppose. Why would you pack for a journey if you thought you might just go out to bring Thorin back home? Knew he'd convince me to follow him. After all this time, seemed wrong asking him to follow me. And so Dwalin had followed Thorin. Two days' journey away from Erebor in silence. Not the comfortable kind that Dwalin was used to sharing with Thorin. The one that had filled the air between them for over a century and a half. The silence wasn't shared with Dwalin at all. It was a silence between Thorin and Bilbo. And Dwalin was there to carry the bags. As direct a transcription as Bilbo's memory can manage. It's not... you. The way you are, Dwalin said. I... never wanted... you know, rings and all. That wasn't me. Or him. We never... never wanted to. Still don't. Probably never will. Thought he never would, too. And if we hadn't... by our ages... when everyone else... You start thinking. About relationships. Getting older. You do want... not romance, marriage, any of that. But there's... Dwalin held up one finger. Yeah? When you're old, planning your life, thinking, not expecting. There's kinship, and there's your job there, too, but you're looking for... The ellipses, by the way. For any seeking to do any linguistic analysis of dwarf language and seeking annotation methods for both their raucous din and melancholic reserve, indicate not the silence of no words, but the silence of thinking for the next, two very different-sounding silences, and as such those last ellipses might be better written as... which Bilbo endured with what he hoped was an aura of quiet patience as he nonchalantly wrapped the blanket tighter around himself and quietly froze to death. Dwalin dropped his coat on top of Bilbo. It helped with the freezing. Your person, Dwalin said finally. Your person who thinks you're his person too. That's not too much to ask. It wasn't that Dwalin didn't understand romance, or didn't feel love. He'd wooed a dwarf or two in his time, though it turned out courtship didn't suit him. He'd loved too. He'd loved with all of himself and all of his weapons, too. For Thorin's sake, he'd crossed the world half a dozen times for half a dozen reasons, all because that was where Thorin needed him to go. If that wasn't love, Dwalin didn't know what was. But that didn't mean he liked looking at it straight on. It was blinding, for one, like looking into the great forge when it was burning. And for another, though Mayhal knew you couldn't say this to Thorin, it was embarrassing, too. 
Sweet, of course, but Dwalin always cringed a little on the inside when warriors started falling in love. It was a bit like watching a fine blade go dull. When Bilbo was around, Thorn practically cooed, and Dwalin was happy for his friend, never doubt that he was happy for his friend. But still, Thorn could wait to coo until he and Bilbo were behind closed doors. At least the cooing wasn't the bickering, mayhow. Dwalin didn't know which one was more uncomfortably intimate to watch. It wasn't Thorn's fault. Love had tempered the flames of every dwarf Dwalin had ever met who'd managed to climb in love. Dwalin disliked the phrase, fall in love. You fell down the stairs because you were thick enough not to watch where you were going. Every love story Dwalin had heard worth telling had a little more fighting and planning than that. You could passively love, but it seemed like staring at a hammer and waiting for it to do something. And Mayhal knew you were supposed to temper flames. Couldn't have them blazing like a wildfire for ages. But there used to be a time when thorn silences were Dwalin's. You ever heard of the myth of Havili? Dwalin asked. Bilbo, as he did whenever he was presented with just a dwarf name in no context, made a non-committal noise, the oral equivalent of a shrug since the gesture itself would have been lost somewhere underneath the piles of fur currently engulfing him. Sky, Dwalin prompted. Cracked pillar. Right, yes, plastering the sky up and dying and the value of unglamorous labor to maintain infrastructure, Bilbo said. Don't know anyone else who'd put it that way, but guess so. Dwalin whittled while he talked. He put aside his fifth wood sculpture and reached for another branch. I like that myth. Always have. That's us. Thorin and me. That's our myth. The first time Dwalin saw the hobbit, he didn't look down far enough. Wasn't the lad's fault he was tiny. Wasn't the lad's blessing either, though Dwalin supposed he had a warrior's perspective. Small size probably served burglars well enough. Then Dwalin saw the food, and the hobbit disappeared from his mind. Mr. Baggins did cook a mean fish. Gandalf said he was a burglar, and Thorin accepted it. That was enough for Dwalin. But Thorin only barely accepted it, and Dwalin remembered that, too. Nowadays, there were love songs by the dozen about the first meeting of the exile and his thief. They clapped eyes on each other, and there was lightning. They touched hands in greeting, and the earth shook. If there was lightning and earthquakes that first night, Dwan can tell you that was nothing but weather. The two of them regarded each other with the eyes of strangers. Dwan was not sure they touched at all. When Bilbo fainted, Dwan saw Thorin shut his eyes. A brief prayer for patience, likely. Whether it was aimed at the burglar or Bofer, who'd apologized sheepishly for scaring the little fellow and dragged him off to the parlor to recover. Dwan couldn't tell you. He knew that when Thorin opened his eyes again, he met Dwalin's, and Dwalin recognized the look. It was the sort of face he'd worn when the wagons managed to ford a river just to break down on the other side, or when they'd just made camp for evening's rest when someone started screaming because their water broke. Dwalin joined Thorin at the fireplace while he stoked it from glowing to roaring. It seems even our good fortune always comes with a little bad, Thorin said. If a feigning burglar's the worst fortune we gotta deal with, Dwalin said, I welcome him. Let him faint. The fire had flared up. Thorn had snorted. At least he's light enough to carry. And then it was Thorn and Bilbo. Bilbo and Thorin. King and Lionheart. And Dwalin standing over at the side wondering when he'd stop being the Lionheart. 
I understand, Bilbo said. You're the pillar. Thorin's the sky. And what's the pillar when the sky is gone? Thuan looked at Bilbo like he was being an idiot. I'm the sky. Thorin's the pillar. Then he buggered off to be best friends with some hobbit he'd met a blink ago. Do you know what Dwalin's second journey through Mirkwood was like? Dwalin pressing forward, pressing blindly forward, shouting Thorin's name till his throat was raw, and killing anything attracted to the sound. Do you know what it is to be alive and alone in the malevolent dark? When he'd been young and living in Erebor the first time around, Dwalin had ventured once into the Undercity. That was what the guards called the Deep Mines, the Closed Ones. The official story, the one no one believed, was that they were some of the first shafts opened and so the first shafts emptied. Nothing was left there. Unprofitable venture. The unofficial story, the one that old guards told new guards while their novice knees knocked in their uncle's hand-me-down armor, was the better one. The tunnels had been there before the city had been. Maybe before the mountain. However that worked. No one knew who made them, and no one knew what was down there. They just knew not to go down there. Meant everyone did, of course. Especially new guards with something to prove while the old guards stood a few yards back and heckled. Most dwarves made it around a hundred feet before turning back. Dwalin had been told about a private who'd gone down nearly a thousand, and when he'd come back up they made him captain right on the spot. Dwalin had made it about six hundred feet before something in the dark breathed on him. Or, looking back now, hindsight being what it is and all that, maybe Dwalin just breathed on his damn self. Either way, he set a land record for speed getting back up to the light. What passed for light in dwarf tunnels, anyway. The old guard had laughed at him, slapped him on the back, gave him an ale, and said his face must be paler than his arse right now. You aren't scared of the dark, they'd said. And Dwalin had blustered, scoffed, lied. They laughed at him all the harder for it. But it was all right. That was the lesson you had to learn as a guard if you were going to be any good to anyone. There's the dark you know, and then there's the dark you fear. Mirkwood was a darkness that knew how to breathe down your neck. It knew how to hang on your back like a corpse. And Dwalin pressed deeper into it. He pressed and pressed and he pressed until he couldn't tell you if he was blind or if the trees had blotted out even the memory of sun. He walked so deep into the heart of Mirkwood that if he'd gone as far down when he'd been a guard, they would have made him king of Erebor when he re-emerged. He tracked Thorin as best he could, and when he could track no further, he made himself a target that Thorin might find him, and all the while the darkness pressed against him and breathed. I tried to find him, Dwan said. For him. For you, too. It doesn't sound like it, I know, but I... We were all worried about you. Dwalin, Bilbo said. What aren't you saying? On the beach by Mirkwood, Thorn raised his left hand and offered his grandfather's ring. The raven cocked his head and took it. With a beat of its black wings, the bird was gone. Thorin, Dwalin rasped. What in shitting hell are you doing? Thorin looked at Dwalin like he wasn't anything, like they hadn't been brothers-in-arms so long they might as well have had the same blood to make it official. I am getting Bilbo home as quickly as I can. Are you helping or not? That was Thror's ring, Dwalin said. What are you thinking? That I have a plan. To give away a treasure you held on to all your life? Everything has a cost. 
Thorin crouched by Bilbo's side, rested his hand against Bilbo's cheek. Let's move. Sometimes you can feel shame before it's become shame. You can live the moment and stand outside it at the same time, because part of you needs to study everything that happens so you can replay forever. You have gone mad, Dwan said. And he regretted it the moment he had. But Thorin stiffened nonetheless, and the words were said, and there was something sticking in Dwan's chest like a bird that was stopping him from apologizing. Giving away my treasures, Thorin said lowly, has never been my madness. I remember your father, Dwalin said, telling us no dwarf would ever cast pearls before swine. What's this? A new variation on that. Heirlooms before crows. It would have been all right if Thorin had stood. Then he and Dwalin could have had it out, push each other around a bit, maybe one would land a good punch on the nose of the other, and after a few minutes they'd be laughing as the blood dripped down their chins. Then they could get back to work. But Thorin didn't stand. Thorin reached for Bilbo's hand instead, while Bilbo slept there between them. I didn't ask you to come, Thorin said. But you knew I would, Dwan said. You didn't care that I came, but you knew I would. I didn't want you here. You followed me. That's what I do, Thorin, Dwan barked. And I should have dragged you back the second I caught up. Let a proper caravan of dwarves take Bilbo back to the Shire. Thorin shook his head. No. They'll get him there faster. A large group will be noticed. Our riders can't leave the boundaries of our land without getting set upon. If you just take a little bit longer to think about this. I have thought for years. That's enough thinking. You can visit Bilbo when he's better. I will not! Thorin's words echoed off the trees. He jumped to his feet. Bilbo laid on the ground before like an offering. I will not visit him, Thorin said, his voice quieter in the way voices sound when someone is trying their best not to yell. I will live with him. There, in the Shire. I will take Bilbo home, and I will stay with him. Dwalin stared. But not... He started. Stopped. Not forever. Thorin gave no response. Not after all we did to get Erebor back. To get you back to the throne. I was never meant for it, Thorin said. I'm a dwarf of the golden statues. I should have died in reclamation. Thorin! There's nothing for me in Erebor. Thorin said it so easily. Or, no. With the benefit of hindsight, Dwalin could see exactly how hard it was for Thorin to say that how many years it would have taken for Thorin to ever whisper the idea aloud. And Dwalin would remember the stupid way Thorin thought he had to spare people by hurting them. Keeley can't be moved, Thorin had worried to Dwalin the night before they were set out from Lake Town to Erebor. He's too wounded. Orn says the lad can barely walk, Dwalin had agreed. You'll have to be harsh with him. If he thinks there's an inch of leeway, he'll wiggle his way back into danger. And in Lake Town, Thorin had nodded. And on the beach, Thorin picked up Bilbo and slung him over his back. Nothing, Dwan said, quietly. Thorin met his eyes and said nothing. Then I'll give you nothing of me, said Dwan, as you so clearly want. As he stalked away, not towards anything, just away from Thorin, Dwan waited for Thorin to call after him. 
Dwalin walked and walked, waiting for that call. And with each step he got madder until the rage bittered, and Dwalin wanted nothing more than for Thorin to cry out so that Dwalin could ignore him. Then Dwalin followed a bend in the river, and Erebor rose up proud before him. And Dwalin said, after a moment, Ah, shit! And turned around and sprinted back the way he came. And Thorin was gone. Two minutes. Dwalin couldn't have been gone for more than two minutes, maybe three. And Thorin was gone, disappeared into Mirkwood. And if Dwalin had some small redemption in this, if he had one thing that didn't cast a shadow of shame, it was that Dwalin didn't hesitate for a second before he plunged into the forest behind him. Didn't catch up. Couldn't find him. Don't understand why, Dwalin said quietly. It had to be nearly midnight by now, the air half-frozen around them. The first frost of winter was busy painting the windows of Hobbiton. Over the course of his story, Dwalin had whittled a village. Elf roads, Bilbo said quietly. Drogo's likely right about that. There's probably plenty of those in Mirkwood. And Keeley was working on a map of the forest. The first map Erebor ever had of Mirkwood. Maybe there were some roots on the map that Thorin remembered. Dwalin grunted. Maybe. And after another pause, less long than the great many Dwalin and Bilbo had shared this evening, he added, But it's not like Thorin can find his way on the mundane sort of roads. Bilbo snorted. Oh, Arrow, you're right. If Thorin found a magical path, it was only because he stumbled off the one he was trying to follow. Or if someone helped him, Dwalin said, and Bilbo thought about the raven flying off with its offering. Or if someone helped him, Bilbo quietly agreed. Dwalin finished up his little wooden sculpture of the mayor's house. If you think, Bilbo said at last, that I haven't stormed away from Thorn because I couldn't argue with him a moment longer. It's not the same. People fight, Dwalin. We never did. Only during, you know, his sickness. That's how I knew he was sick. Dwalin pocketed his carving knife and ran his hands over his face. I could have asked him why the ring, why he gave it away, if I hadn't called him mad first. There was another long, long silence now. It was Bilbo's silence this time. Now Dwalin waited for him. What's done is done, Bilbo said at last. That's all you've got to say, Dwalin asked. It is what it is. I hate that phrase. That's the way life goes. Stop it. That's how the cookie crumbles. Bilbo, Dwalin said in a tone he'd hate to be described as peevish. I lost him. You didn't, Bilbo said. I tried right there. I tried very hard to be mad at you, because I do think Deese has the right idea about things. It is easier to worry when you can be properly furious at someone right in front of you. But, as we've established, Thorin is very good at getting himself lost. He didn't need your help. And you tried to find him. After a moment, Bilbo added, Of course, you could go looking for him again. I abandoned you as well, Dwalin said promptly. And you needed me as much as him. Maybe more. I'm fine, Bilbo said. Find him. But Dwalin shook his head. Deese has her battalions combing the countryside for him. But she's here in the Shire. 
We know where Thorn is going to be. There was another long, long silence. But this one had something different at the edges of it. Something almost companionate. At the very least, it was a silence shared rather than mutually endured. If one was feeling bold, they might go so far as to say the silence was even comfortable. Well, Bilbo said at last, wouldn't be the first time you refused to leave my house. The entire way home, the question that had popped up repeatedly in Bilbo's head during the entire evening was still there popping up, kicking him a bit in the frontal lobe and hissing, it's now or never. And so about half a mile from Bag End, Bilbo asked Dwallin, with a fake nonchalance that sounded every bit as fake as it was, Were you ever... And then a discreet cough. Ahem. Were you upset we married? Behind Bilbo, pushing the chair, Dwallin snorted. <laughs> Never cared about that bit. Not at all. Mayhow. Someone had to marry him sooner or later. Dwallin chuckled. You poor bastard. That answered that well enough. Dees sat on the porch, reading by candlelight. Or rather, a book was open in front of her. She stood up too quickly when Bilbo and Dwallin came in. Stood up the same way that Bilbo had so often stood up from reading when Thorne was due back from a meeting, but was running late. And Bilbo would sit with a book in his lap and brood until Thorne came home. Book as camouflage. No one needed to know you waited up for them. Long walk, Dee said as they drew close. Lots to say, Bilbo replied as Dwan lifted him, chair and all, to carry him up the stairs. Began to think you'd found trouble out there. I looked for trouble in the Shire for a good portion of my childhood. There's none to be found. Dee's mouth twitched. Yet you seem adept at making it. Her eyes darted to Dwallin as he lowered Bilbo in the chair to the porch, and then her eyes dropped to the ground. But it's good Dwallin was there. Did you know we grew up together? I think he mentioned it. I watched all the ways Thorin got him into trouble, and all the ways Dwallin got him out. Dees reached down, picked up the book she'd knocked over in standing. It was one of Bilbo's poetry anthologies. Thorin's a crafty idiot, Dees said without looking at either of them, tucking her book underneath her arm. I'm sure you did what you could. Dwan took a step forward. Dees. She raised her hand, palm facing him. I have a limited amount of magnanimity. Don't tell me anything I'll have to forgive. Dees looked at Bilbo and shrugged with an exaggerated regality. It's simply that I cannot endure another lecture from the brandy books and bagginses about my manners. Dwallin paused, nodded. Dees nodded at him, too. That's dwarves for you. Half the time they make such a din you can't hear yourself think. The other half they're so stoic that trying to get a hello from them is like squeezing a rock for water. Mayhal only knew which one you'd get, and if you could ask him, he'd probably just respond by stroking his beard thoughtfully. I wanted him to be happy, Dwallin said suddenly, and Dees became very, very still. After everything. Thought he was happy. Dwan shook his head, and Dees stayed very, very still. Just got so mad at myself that he wasn't. Dees looked to Dwallin, her chin raised. Dwallin met her eyes and held them. After a moment, she smiled. Just a little. 
and, sadly, "'We put the leftovers from tea on the counter, if you're hungry,' she said. "'Kindly eat the scones. The other Mr. Baggins will have our head if you don't. You know you can't visit Hobbiton and think you'll get away without sampling one of Miss Rosamond Sandyman's famous scones.' Deece. "'I get it,' she said. "'Truly, Dwallin, I understand. But if you want to talk about feelings, that's what hobbits are for.' Then she held the door open for them, and waited until Dwallin wheeled Bilbo inside. Bilbo said he would put himself to bed, thank you. He could walk a few steps without collapsing, and with bed the end goal was collapse. So when Bilbo pulled shut the door to his bedroom, he was alone. After everything that had happened this evening, he could have fallen asleep in his chair right then and there. He thought about it for long enough that the idea must have been tempting indeed, but it didn't take him long to realize that if he didn't make it to bed, he was due for a renewal of Primula coming to tuck him in, which is not a good night that a hobbit of fifty-something particularly appreciates. Besides, it was too cold to sleep in here right now. He'd have to close the window first. Someone, forgetting that it was winter and time to batten the hatches until the warmth returned, must have left it open. It might have been the elf who was currently swinging her way through it. It's a testament to how tired Bilbo was that it took him a few seconds of blinking at the sight before he once again reached for the sword that was not there. The elf, perching on the windowsill, pressed a finger to her lips. I am sorry for sneaking in, Tariel said. But Deese is sitting on the front porch. Considering the kind of relationship she and I have shared thus far, I thought it'd be best if she wasn't the first person I spoke to. I'm very glad to see you doing so well. When Keeley wrote that you were healed, I could not have been more ecstatic. And I was not surprised. Home is the best curative we ever have. What? Bilbo asked. Wait. What? And then Toriel reached into her pocket and placed on Bilbo's windowsill the short lost ring of Thror the once young dwarf in love under the mountain. It was a while longer before Bilbo got to sleep that night.